You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com and be sure to share. The Second City is back open for live shows, in-person classes, and customized corporate workshops and performances. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. You can go online and find out all the information you need at secondcity.com. Welcome to the world of Tony Ho from CBC Podcasts. It's an award-winning, bite-sized narrative comedy series about human relationships, familiar, hilarious, and sometimes unnerving. The troupe features Miguel Rivas, Adam Niebergall, and alumnus of the Second City Mainstage, Roger Bainbridge. They will take you on a darkly comedic ride that finds honesty in every situation. You can listen and subscribe to Tony Ho on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is Getting DS And. Days can be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next The corner of the highway that leads to the job At the desk by the boss with the elegant watch The tick of the clock and the tick of the clock Mark the moments till the ticking stops Tony Hunter, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. So we were catching up a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned that my son Nick, who's aspiration, of course, is to be an actor, was having actually a very positive experience in his tech recruiting job. And that stemmed almost entirely because he loved his boss. And your kid had the same thing going on, right? Yes. Yes. My, my son is uh, working for the cannabis company that I sit on the board, Revolution. And he landed a job as a chemist. And he just raves about the plant manager and his direct supervisor in terms of the way they lead with positivity and include people and really engage with them on a personal level. And I'm just thrilled that he gets the opportunity, just like your son, you know, it, it, it it's really, I'm grateful that he yeah. has been with a company that tr- is treating him that way. And shocker, Kelly, he's doing the best work of his life. Yeah. It, it really, it stems from leadership, like all of it, what's good, what's bad and everything in between. And I think, I think you go in maybe thinking that in an idealized version and then you start your work life and there's so many different layers. But at the end of the day, I'm sitting here, you know, 50 plus years old and going, nope, it was for leadership all along, whether it worked or whether it didn't. Good versus great, right? Yeah. Or good versus bad. It's really usually not the idea or the strategy. You can explain good going to great. By leadership, and you can take a good idea and it can turn out bad. And that's the absence of leadership, at least in my experience as well. You wrote a medium piece uh, talking about leaders in disruptive times. And you said, quote, that's when great leaders shine. They know that doing something, anything is better than just talking about it. These leaders also recognize that improving their talk to action ratio 
starts with culture. Let's let's unpack that because wow, that's, that's, that's a lot. The, in, <laughs> that's a lot in one quote, isn't it? Yeah, but it's good. And 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 I think so. So let's talk first about the 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 bias for doing versus the bias for talking. Yeah. Well. We've all been there, right? You walk into the conference room, you go into the meeting, you talk for 30 minutes if you're lucky, mostly an hour, right? <laughs> Meetings back in the day. And then at the end, somebody will say, that was a great meeting. Why don't we get back together next week and talk about this again? Or people just come into meetings and they want to make the idea, they talk about what's wrong with the idea, right? That was presented. And my, what I've learned is rarely do you get it right the first time. But doing something and moving the ball forward, at a minimum, you're going to fail forward. You're going to learn. But standing still in today's world means you fall behind yeah. because it's moving so fast that if you don't move, you lose. And so I think this notion of taking action and, and, and I think that starts at the top, tone at the yeah. top, and then it needs to permeate the culture. And what I said when I started running the Chicago Tribune was, hey, I've been here a long time. We have got to improve our action to talk ratio. So I'll flip it on you. We have got to act more and talk less because I saw the quotient, what the, that ratio way out of whack. And as a result of that, what happens is you're a mile wide and an inch deep. You just keep adding to the possibilities when most of the time there's two or three options. Pick one and go. And then, of course, you know I'm a fan of agility. Yeah. And building a culture that's used to pivoting, pausing, um, listening to customers in the marketplace. But if you build those kinds of cultural attributes, your, your probability of success goes way up, way up. And that doesn't mean, Kelly, you got to hit a home run every time as you and I chatted. You can yeah. lose and miss the ball you know, strike out. It's just recognize that and pivot. Yeah. And that's what I think our life is about too, right? It's not just business. No, play the, you got to play the game. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, very few people regret, um, uh, they don't regret doing something. They regret not doing something. And all good things start with that first courage. I love Les Brown. Leap before you are ready and the net will appear. You think of all that could go wrong and you talk yourself out of it when at the end of the day, you need to trust your instincts and take action. So you also uh, wrote in a piece, you say, quote, disruption and crises actually create ideal circumstances for innovation. So we're, we're here. <laughs> we're, <laughs> here we are, we're, right? <laughs> here we are. So how's this playing out for you right now? You just got back into publishing. I, I, I don't know why you would do such a thing, but you did. Uh, you're at McClatchy now. And after, you know, a, a very, I mean, a very successful run at the Tribune, we shouldn't, you know, but, but, you know, Tribune is now having a real rough time. So, you know, how are you operating in the, in this space, which is so just, you know, it's, it's rife with, with problems and yet, I think you would probably still say this is an opportunity for innovation. Yes, I, I, Kelly, you're right. When I looked at the opportunity at McClatchy, I wanted to come to an iconic company. I wanted to come to a company that believed in content and reporting. And McClatchy, of all the companies during the pandemic and the time leading up to it, committed to not cutting 
the resources on the ground in our local markets. So I always believe that's our that essential content is our only competitive advantage, frankly, in a marketplace. We we do what no one else can do. And so they did those two things. And I knew they had really talented, committed, passionate people. Mm-hmm. And to me, if you can't come in and do something with those ingredients, then it's probably not for you. You're not in the right uh, sector. So I was leaning into the job. But this issue of disruption, uh, to me, gives you an opportunity to rethink where you make your bets, to rethink how you take the core competencies you have and, and use them differently. But a lot of times, this disruption, everybody plays defense. And we're talking a lot about this at McClatchy. You know, my theme this year is expect to win. Hmm. You, you can't play defense. And so I think you just need to step back, look at what you want to bet double down on. What should you not be doing? To me, that's as important. And so take advantage of right-sizing the company and do that. Get out of the things you shouldn't be doing. Focus on the value drivers. Double down and double down on people. Yeah. And so... Again, woe is us is what you hear all the time, but who wouldn't want quality, independent reporting, unique content, engaged audiences that advertisers want to reach. We have multiple distribution channels, right? We've got iconic brands in every market that we're in, 29 of them, iconic brands, part of the fabric of the community. And we've got great people. If you closed your eyes and I didn't tell you I was in publishing, you'd probably buy, ah, I'd like to work for that company. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And then you mentioned publishing and people all of a sudden they're like, wow, why would you do that? Why would I do that? Our mission is so important. But mm-hmm. those are ingredients that if you shape them the right way, we can still win. It's not back to the good old days. Those days have passed. But if you don't think of opportunities and you play defense, you lose. That you know in disruption. It's back to the action talk ratio that you asked me about. So, again, it's hard, but it's been hard for two decades in publishing. That's not new. So what are we doing differently? And how do you play offense and make bets where you believe you're differentiated in the marketplace? And get out of the stuff you're not because you're never going to win there anyway. So that's what we're doing at McClatchy now. We're doubling down on content. We're doubling down on salespeople in local markets. We partnered with Gannett, Mm. uh, joining the largest company to do our national sales. So we're getting out of things where we're not competitively advantaged, but we're doubling down on things where we should win. Um, Again, that's how I view disruption. It gives you a chance to reset and refocus. Uh, I want to talk about innovation and transformation. They are two different things, and and there's uh, some cool connections I I've, I think I found between how how you frame things and how we do traditionally in improvisational theater. Uh, but first of all, like, okay, what does innovation mean? Because I really think that is a thing that people a, a term people toss around, and you even say like leaders need to define and clarify what innovation means for them. Yeah, I've I've been accused and been guilty of uh, and probably would be uh, a perfect target for your improv uh, team of throwing innovation around and platitudes and MBA talk. And when I uh, ran the Chicago Tribune, I thought I have got to demystify innovation. So 
I thought about it and I said, well, isn't it just injecting continuous improvement into everything you do every day? Mm -hmm. Meaning do what you do today better. That's innovative. Do what you do today differently. That's innovative. Do do something no one's doing, which is rare, by the way. Rare yeah. is innovation. But what do we always focus on in that third bucket? Well, breakthrough ideas. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, I also I define it as find a great idea and replicate it fast. So the point is, if you do that, Kelly, you know then everybody in the company can innovate. Everybody. The shop room floor, the salesperson the reporter, because you've given them, this is three ways for you to contribute to our innovation. And all of those ideas stacked together, create meaningful value for the company. So that's how I define it. It's just about being better than you were today, tomorrow, and doing what you're doing today better. And if you do that every day, that's a pretty good model. Your success rate would go up. Yeah, I tend to speak at a lot of innovation conferences and people say, what's the biggest barrier to innovation? And I often say past success because you tend to replicate and replicate and replicate. And it does work. It's not that it doesn't work, but then at a certain point, it won't work anymore. Yeah, right. It's flat. You hit the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I I think demystifying it, however you define it, I'm not saying mine's right. It worked for me because I had such a wide disparity of perspectives, Mm -hmm. levels, departments, right? You know, publishing's got many companies within it. Um, So I just felt like if you can demystify it and then you have to have an inclusive environment, Kelly, you know, you got to have the big ears and the thick skin. You got to listen to people because otherwise they'll stop giving you ideas, which to me is failing as a leader when that happens. So I was really intrigued in the way you talked about innovation and transformation as dual strategies. Uh, They aren't the same thing. Uh, And because we use the exact same language in improvisation. And one of the limitations of the idea of yes and is that people stop there. Uh, But the role of yes and is to move you towards a discovery and a transformation. And I wanted to read you one of my favorite quotes uh, and get your thoughts on this. It's from Francis Frey and Ann Morris. And they say in their book, quote, we believe the future of work depends on our willingness to exchange the gift of each other's transformation. Wow. Isn't that nice? I would say that is very nice. And the way I see that intersecting with my experiences is as individuals staying relevant and current and constantly learning, being a lifelong learner is how we transform ourselves. Yeah. Just being open, right? Opening your heart, opening your mind, opening your spirit. That's how we as individuals transform and we grow. And if you treat people that you work with and want that for them, they become better employees, better colleagues, better leaders. And I think that as we as leaders, we have so much control and influence over allowing people to do that on their journey. And when they do that, of course, they see the world and the business through a different set of eyes. And that leads the business to come up with transformational ideas. So that's how I interpret what you said. Our job is to get the best out of folks that work with us. 
I mean, it, it isn't rocket science, although, by the way, you and I both know some people it is, but yeah. not for you and me. Yeah. The, the, I've been obsessed with this quote this week. I heard it on a podcast, and, and, and I think well, I'm going to say it's Eli Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor, and he said that his guiding principle in life was to no, never allow another human being to be humiliated in front of him. I think this is, yes, I think this is what we're talking about here, which is if you can enter these spaces with that sort of like, look, I'm looking for your, your transformation as a human, as a worker, as, a, as my friend, as my colleague. And if we go in with the like, no, this is about us. And this is, we do this together because we can't do it apart. And I think that the business world, and you know, I mean, this is one of the things that I loved about working with you all those years ago is you know, when we created Chicago Live together, this is the show that we did, you know, it was everything. It was like columnists and artists and, and uh, entrepreneurs, but we were all swimming in the same waters of loving the city we were in. And we had this common purpose and it really, it was so meaningful for everyone. And those are things that you only build when you're getting the culture right and when the people understand what their North Star is. And I think it's the, these things that we're talking about. Well, it really does relate right to the new trend. And it, it's not new, but it's getting a lot of energy is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. Right. At, at the core of that is what you talked about, Kelly. It's everybody's different. Yes. Everybody has different experiences. That's not bad. That's nope. actually good. <laughs> That's uh, good. So why not encourage that, help people grow, so that then they contribute more. And again, you pointed out the mission, you know, you know, having that mission, common mission really provides a leader with a lot of latitude on how yeah. to get the best out of your people. I always said, hey, I inherited one of the best brands in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. I inherited passionate, talented people with a great mission. Boy, I better not screw this up, yeah. frankly. Um, same, but you, but again, that's all about leadership. How do you get people's, um, enthusiasm, believe they can win. And that, that goes a long way. Of course, you got to have strategy plans and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. But I think it gets a little, uh, this DEI isn't, is now coming, you know, fast, but I've always believed that makes you a great company. Uh, if you think that way and you treat your people that way. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, th- this idea of, like, the minute you put your, your person in a box, um, you, you have limited them. And I think people are, are, people limit themselves enough, you know, and we know this through improvisation. All these improv exercises are basically about getting you out of your own way uh, and, and then uh, finding ways where you can uh, hoist on someone else's skill set. I, I always love... Um, Harold Ramis, when he was giving advice uh, to someone who was like, you know, when I go into my first improv class, what do I do? And he goes, go stand next to the funniest person in the room. You know, it's like you want to be with the best people. And if you're the if you're in a room and you're the best person, you are in the wrong room. Right. (laughs) You you know me well. (laughs) I I always say, man, I just want to surround myself with talented, smart people, because then all you have to do is unleash that power and encourage them to be their best. And again, you're right. A lot of times it's about put me in a box. Uh, You got to act a certain way, which you and I have also talked about, right? Mm -hmm. You got to fit the mold. And I just think that is 
uh, limiting and it's actually insulting yeah. uh, because we're all living beings and we're way more complicated than that. And we're way more talented than that. And again, I go back to it's simple. You want to get the most out of everyone. They deserve that too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, in an organization. And it's not like, like we came to this overnight, man. I like, like I, I, I was not, my early leadership career is nothing to be for me to be proud of. And, and all through, I made plenty of mistakes, but, but like when you, when you figure it out <laughs> and when you get it right to simply have the courage to, to make that statement, to set, set that sort of um, bar uh, for people, that's the key. It's like, what are you doing now? Like, I get it that you screwed up in the past, whatever we all did. What are you doing now? Yeah. The school of hard knocks. I got a, yeah. a master's degree. <laughs> and, um, you know, setting high expectations for yourself and, and knowing also to give yourself the grace when you fail and, and mm-hmm. be empathetic when you fail, but to learn from that. And, and when you make a mistake, own up to the mistake. Also, we lead by example. People watch our every move mm-hmm. as a leader. And it's a tough bar to meet. But if you're going to be in leadership, just know there everyone's watching you and they're going to mimic your behavior because they're going to assume that's what they need to do to aspire and move in the right direction in their careers. And I've always found that that is um, that is a uh, is is a high bar. You, I mean, you literally are being watched. You have to watch the tone of your voice and on the counter stopping and telling someone that's a custodian about how clean the plant looks, they run home and tell their family that the boss said that to them. Yeah. So it goes cuts both ways. Just be kind. Thank people, encourage people, everybody, encourage everybody. And then of course, when there's a mistake, people are held accountable and you have to fix it. But the majority of the time we could just lift our people up. Yep. And in the, regardless of the circumstances too, because how many times Kelly, when things go wrong, if the boss goes in the tank, what happens to the rest of the company? Yeah. They go down with it. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, uh, another idea that you and I share is this idea around practice, the importance of practice. And I was on the phone with a potential client. It's a civic organization uh, that has something like 7,000 members in one city. And they asked me how we can prove that improv works. And I told them that we could, of course, collect data, but that also requires that this isn't a one and done. I mean, like, you don't go to the gym for six months, stop, and you're good. Um, And it's practice and and success is when the practice is sustained. And and you write about this a lot in your work, about this this need to sort of continually practice the work that we're doing. Yeah, I, I, you know, the outlier issue of 10,000 hours, at first, I, I just couldn't. I was too young, frankly. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't wrap my head around that until I realized when I finally thought I had reached some level of competency, maybe best in class competency. I looked back and I was like, wow, I've been at this a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and yet you're never perfect. And, you know, I'll spend hours practicing a five-minute speech, like hours, days writing it, because I know the work that you put 
to it and the preparation, I say planning and preparation, 90% of success. Execution should be easy. Mm -hmm. But we normally focus on the execution part and we wonder why we fall down when we haven't put the work in. And I think that fits for whether you're trying to be competent in your uh, in what you do as a leader, as a speaker. I think people feel like, oh, you're natural. And then I'm like, wow, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I have been <laughs> I have so many failures and so much hours I've put in on this that it isn't an accident that, that it just isn't. So uh, I am a fan of preparedness. I, I, and I think disruption has proven that you look at COVID, mm -hmm. right, or the Great Recession. The companies that were prepared financially and strategically and, and from a culture standpoint did just fine. Yeah. Sure, they took a hit, but they sustained and they came out stronger. Those that weren't prepared, we saw what happened. And so you can't catch up to things. You can't catch, hey, we're in a crisis. I'm going to catch up. No, no, no. You're either ready or you're not. And so those are the things I've learned. Um, and many of them by not being prepared, by the way. Yeah, I, I think, you know, working in the executive education, learning and development space, as I, as I spend a good deal of my time in, I have a, a theory of what one of the problems is with regard to this, which is in, in any, and I've talked about this in the podcast with other people, that in any peak performance position, let's say it's a, a person in sports or, or music or whatever, they are uh, Olympic athletes. They're practicing their skills over and over. They don't just scrimmage. And part of the problem in a lot of these spaces is they don't work on your skills building. They don't work on your hearing they don't, you know, or your listening, uh, your understanding, your status, all, all these things that come into play every single day. It's just like, well, let's role play. And it's like, no, I mean, like, let's work on your muscles. What, you know, and, and that's kind of missing, I think, in, in the, this corporate education space. Yeah, I think it is. But I, and I also think that we've fallen into the trap of filling our entire day with meetings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think we've lost we've I, I was out of the game for a little while. I was I was working, but I wasn't in the operating senior operating role. And I realized how little I was thinking. Yeah, I, I, I just realized, wow, how can you think or build your muscles when all you're doing is playing the game? And, and, and coming out of it, I just realized, man, there's a lot more clarity. I've got some mind space. Mm -hmm. And to use the improv analogy, right? You see all these things when you're in the day-to-day, -day, you see them through a very narrow, mm -hmm. like I have to get through the next three months. But if you step back and you see all this, all of a sudden you can connect some dots that you wouldn't see if you didn't have some time to step back. So I think we've also lost a little of that free mind space to yep. create new ideas. We just you need rest. Donuts, right? That's another, that's another thing about peak performers, right? They have to rest in between their sprints. And we, we know about this from neuroscience too. It's like alternate your thinky tasks with your rote tasks and take a walk. That, this is, this is the thing you know, to come full circle. Nick's boss, my son's boss at one point, he had a, like, he had someone in a job and they turned it down and he was all bummed. And he's like, Hey Nick, like when you get in that place, like walk, you have a coffee shop down the street, go walk, get a coffee, take a couple laps. I don't need you, you know, accessible to me all the time. You need to be accessible to yourself. Um, and I was like, this is great. This is like very good encouragement. And it's actually based on science. 
Right. We, we know these things, but it's like you get a lobotomy when you go to work at a corporation. Like, okay, now we're all going to be this way because mm-hmm. that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Not um, diversity, different perspectives, and inclusion always, always creates better results. Always. It's impossible for it not to. You know, design thinking is all about that, right? Yeah. You, you don't walk in and go, Kelly, your idea is brilliant. Everybody pile on Kelly's idea and just tell him how smart he is. No, you want everybody. And what happens? Kelly's idea grows. It's larger, gets more impactful. And that's because you won't see everything and Mm -hmm. others will see it through a different lens. And I just hope as people think about being good leaders, they recognize there's so much science and also a lot to learn in technology, right? Technology innovation. That's why now there's no advantage, right? Technology, it happens and everybody, somebody's a leader and all of a sudden everybody has it. Yeah. it there, there isn't, you know, you need new thinking always in the organization and uh, inclusion's where it starts. Yep. Yep. All right. Before I ask you for your yes and story, you know, I know you love collaborating and you're not, going into the office much these days, right? I have, I'm this new CEO that the Wall Street Journal wrote about in the fall. Uh, congratulations, Miss uh, new CEO. Maybe you'll meet one of your employees someday. <laughs> I've been on the job since Labor Day. Yeah. Other than Zoom and Google Meets, I've met zero employees. Wow. In six months. So how are you, what, okay, so what's, how do you, what do you do? I mean, I, so you, you, you take these meetings, right? You take some meetings by Zoom, phone calls, I imagine, other things. Do you, is that, are you just using? Primarily video. And there's, okay. this is a good, I think this is another um, example of being a lifelong learner and the need to stay current and relevant. Mm-hmm. When it first started, I was like, okay. Uh, and I wasn't me. Like somehow the, the, the platform caused me to sort of behave differently Mm. early on. And then I realized I should stand up more. (laughs) I should use my hands. I should Mm -hmm. be me. I should Mm -hmm. imagine I'm in the conference room. Right. And just be me. Mm. And then I'm learning now to, to just like I would do in a meeting, watch the body language, pull people into the meetings So the skills and the capabilities are the same that you've always had, but you must evolve and adapt to the new circumstances. So it's not like the muscles need to be different. They need to be used differently, of course. But I, I, at first, I sort of, because you're right, I'm an energy guy. I like being around people. Like, I I miss that. Mm -hmm. I love walking through the plant. Nothing better than a plant tour. Um, Mm -hmm. And... That is hard to fill. So what I have tried to do is have a lot more phone calls that aren't scheduled as well. Yeah, that's good. When I need the energy, my staff probably doesn't like it. But when I need the energy, I call one of my staff members and just have an impromptu conversation about business Mm -hmm. or my mentor or a friend to get the juices flowing instead of just sitting in front of um, my laptop and taking Zoom calls all day. So again, 
we all know these things are available to us, but we all sometimes fall into the rote, same old, same old. And that's, we know what we get when we do the same old, same old. We get the same old, same old same results. Old, yeah. yeah. And, and that uh, doesn't work. In right. my business, that, that will not work. Doesn't work in my business either. Yeah, it's interesting. When we started doing virtual improv workshops with corporations, uh, because we also have produced television in the past, we're like, okay, we know how to work a screen a little bit different. And we, we literally do physical warmups where we have people like move all the way back, move all the way forward. Like, and, and then they start being like, oh, this is, I'm not used to, you're like, yeah, you can play with your screen, you know, like that, that's, that's a, a thing you can do. And so I found that interesting. And I brought it up too, because I remember the last time we talked, you were, you were standing and it was like, and you know, that's, that's, and I find, actually, I find myself, when I do the podcast, I have a mic and stuff, so I'm sitting. But when I'm working, like when we get off this, I will stand at my desk. Yeah, it's, again, everybody's different. Let's go back to what we violently agree on, right? You need to find where you're at your best, but you also need to pull yourself into an uncomfortable position yep. because you will be put in that position at some point. And so you, I look for ways to put myself in something that I know is going to be hard mm-hmm. on me and minimize the damage and learn yeah. because otherwise, again, you can't, I, I'm beating a dead horse here being current and relevant as a leader or whatever field you're in should be the goal. Mm-hmm. That should be the goal. And if you strive to be current and relevant and continuously improve and, and, and you do that your whole life, boy, will you have a full life. You'll have a full life inside the office, outside the office, spiritually. Yeah. If, if you just, I, that's the mantra. I don't always do it. I have to be reminded. But that to me is the best advice we can give emerging leaders. Yes. Just stay current and relevant, whatever mm-hmm. that means to you. And you can have a fulfilling career. And you can do it your own way, too. That's what I'm excited about with DEI. I think it provides a breakthrough mm-hmm. for folks that aren't out of central casting. Right. Right? That aren't a certain way. Tall. Have a chance. Yeah. To, the number right? of CEOs who are over like 6'5 is like crazy. Yeah. So it's, it's an exciting time. I'm, yeah. I'm very, I'm an optimist. Anyway, but I'm very optimistic about the future because I do think we're opening our perspective and will allow the folks behind us, the next generation, to really make things better because they're way smarter. They have much more knowledge about things than I had at at, at a younger age. Mm -hmm. If we just allow them to do it their way, I think... It, there's a bright future and I'm, I'm, I'm excited. That's why I focus on emerging leaders. I think yep. those are the folks we got to pay it forward by providing the opportunity for them to do great things. Okay. So we always end the podcast by asking our guests for a yes and story. So in the parlance of improvisation, we get nowhere when we say no, and we actually don't get that far when we say yes, we say yes. And we affirm and contribute. And that allows us to explore and heighten and hopefully transform. So I'm wondering if you have a yes and story for us. Well, you, you have asked me this before in our prep session. You, 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 you said something along the lines of, boy, you're, you said it earlier too, you're back in McClatchy. So here would be the question I'll ask and I'll answer and then yeah. I'll ask. 
had. So why did I re-enter the publishing industry given what's going on? And did I come into that job with optimism? So my answer to my own question is yes. And the reason I came into this job is because I believe there are unexplored opportunities in this industry. Mm. And I believe in the mission of this company. And last, I want to make sure that the people behind me in the industry have the same opportunities that I was provided during my career here in this sector. That's why I'm back. And there's more too. I want to do great things. I want McClatchy to win. I mean, I could go on and on and improv. And I also want to be a great grandfather. Hmm. I have three grandchildren. My granddaughter just arrived uh, last Wednesday. I'm thrilled. We have two grandsons and a granddaughter. So I have so much to do yet. And that's what gets me excited every day, Kelly, is how to make things better and how to lead effectively. I don't know if I did. Very, I'm probably not good at improv. I'm pretty good in a town hall, but I'm not sure I'd be very good for you. Oh, no, no, no. I think yeah, I, I, based on my experience, you're uh, I mean, and everyone improvises differently. Right. I mean, that's that's the thing you learn, which is like, you know, you've got certain people who are going to drive a scene and other people are going to support a scene. And it, it's, it's like and we have a phrase in improv called follow the follower, which is a real a leadership concept, too, which is, you know, when you have your expertise, uh, let me follow you. When I have my expertise, you follow me. Well, I'm a big fan of what you do, and I'm really excited that you asked me to come on the podcast, Kelly. It's been uh, a pleasure. Tony Hunter, thanks for coming on the show. All right, my man. Getting the SAN is produced by Second City Works and WGN Radio. Our editor and producer is L.F. Garris. We get support at the Second City from Jenny Crowley, Abby Bumbledare, Mike Farinaccio, and Colleen Fahey. The music you hear at the beginning and end of the show is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you have questions, guest ideas, or if you want more information on working with Second City Works, you can go to www.secondcityworks.com, or you can email us directly at works at secondcity.com.
Survive 